Broadcasting live to the world now. It's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. Sheila Zelensky. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into the Sheila Zelensky Show today. I am calling today's message Christian Warfare. You know, we've used Ephesians 6 a lot, haven't we? In fact, probably overused it. You hear it being thrown around all the time, don't you, Ephesians 6? But I don't really think I've done a message that's covered a lot of the nuts and bolts of this scripture. So I'm going to bounce around a little bit here. But, you know, we are in a spiritual war. And you know what the problem is? A lot of Christians are not aware of this. The average Christian does not know this. Because the average church, they are not taught anything about spiritual warfare. They're certainly not teaching it at Bible college. And the majority of today's pastors, they just are not equipped. They're not trained in this. They just simply do not know what to do. Yeah, I'm sure they believe there's a devil and demons, but they don't know what to do with that. You know, and things are really picking up, aren't they? I know a lot of you out there know that things are really ramping up. And we're heading towards one clash, let me tell you. And so supernatural living involving spiritual warfare is going to become a huge priority very quickly. You know, we are the battle axe. We're the hands that God often uses to wage warfare. God has trained our hands for battle. He strengthens our arm to draw the bow. Remember that scripture there in, I believe it's uh, Psalm 1834. He teaches my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Psalm 144, what does that say? Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. So we can see that God uses us. He trains us up for the war, doesn't he? The battle. And of course, nobody knows the exact time we're in except for God by his sovereign hand, unless something should change. But we can affect things. We, in our power and authority in warfare, we can affect things in this battle that we're in. We're involved in the battle between heaven and hell. Jesus Christ paid the price for us to have victory. If you're struggling with anything, you can get freedom in deliverance. Any sin, any character flaw, any struggle area, you can get freedom. There isn't anything as Christians that we should not be able to overcome. We're always taught about the flesh, the flesh, but what is not being factored in is demons, the devil and evil spirits. That's a big 90% of where the problem lies. We have to know who our enemy is so that we can prepare properly. A lot of people talk about Sun Tzu and the art of war about knowing your enemy, but God really gives us insight into this, doesn't he? Throughout scripture, there's a lot of areas where the enemy is described and what he's doing. That's described as well. A thief, he comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. A liar, the father of all lies. Other places it talks about him being an angel of light. The devil and the demons know the lingo, trust me. They can sound very convincing. They know how to play the game. What does Ephesians 6.11 say? Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of 
the devil. The reason for the armor is the battle. It sounds like put on means it's something that we're going to do on a regular basis, but you don't ever take it off. That really ties in with salvation. You can't put on salvation, can you? A lot of the parts of the armor, you receive it salvation. It's already on. I love how Pastor Monty tells a story. This lady's like, do you put on your spiritual armor every morning when you get up? And he goes, uh, no. <laughs> what? I don't take it off. That helmet of salvation was put on you when you got saved. You're not going to bounce back and forth between saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved. If you're saved, you're saved, period. And listen, Satan's, he's very crafty. We can't fight the devil in our own natural self. It's a supernatural fight that we need Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus and by the power of the shed blood. That's how he is defeated. He knows a lot about us. Don't kid yourself. The enemy knows. Well, he's been at this a long time. He knows more about us than we probably know about ourselves. He's the cause of struggling, hindrances, torment in our life. It's not the flesh for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But this goes over a lot of people's head. We've been taught that we need to crucify the flesh, but guess what? That was already done at salvation. Flesh and blood, he's talking about there, ourself. We're not wrestling against ourself. But we do wrestle against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. So he's essentially laying out a variety of demonic structures. If you are praying, then your body, your soul, and your spirit should be involved. That's the first thing I'm going to tell you about prayer. It should involve all our faculties. Wherever you claim that you are praying and your mind wanders far and near, then you're not praying. You are playing. When prayer really starts at the body, the soul and the spirit will be channeled towards one direction. For someone to ask, seek, and knock, a high level of concentration, determination, and action is needed. If you have never asked, you will never receive. If you never seek, you will never find. And if knocking is never done, opening will never be possible. There is a kind of prayer known as prayer to ask. That's the kind of prayer that's specific asking. And there are different kinds of asking, isn't there? The book of James tells us that people ask, but they ask amiss in order to consume it in their own lust. So it's possible to still ask amiss. Asking prayer may fail. In this case, a believer climbs the high ladder of prayer, which is called seeking prayer. There's knocking in prayer. There's the power of the lips. You have to ask with your lips. If you misuse your lips, then you're hindering your prayer from being answered. If your lips are polluted, you cannot advance in prayer. Many ought to ask for deliverance of their lips so they can ask properly. There's got to be humility in prayer. Sometimes prayer can mean action. What does that mean? Well, you can go and prayer walk. You can pray against the enemy and you can pray about circumstances. Sometimes you may need to walk about in prayer. Walking is a form of drawing circuit of power. And sometimes prayer can mean silence. It's not every time that prayer is noisy. Prayer is not just the preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. The devil can fake anything, but he cannot fake prayer. Church people can sing, dance, and shout. The devil can do the same, but he cannot pray. Why is that that the devil cannot pray? Because he has no one to pray to. He cannot be reconciled with God because he's already sentenced. Look at the staggering effects of Daniel's prayer, Daniel 10, 9 through 20. We see the enormous effects of Daniel's prayer. When Daniel prayed on earth, heaven was set in motion. God 
angels, and Satan were affected by Daniel's prayer. Daniel was an outstanding prayer warrior. The word of God through prophet Ezekiel ranked Daniel as one of the greatest intercessors who ever lived. This is the way it was put in Ezekiel 14, 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Ezekiel 14, 14. The prayer of Daniel broke the yoke of the Babylonian empire. It set Israel free to fulfill its divine purpose. The visible enemies of Daniel struggled hard to keep Daniel away from the ministry of prayer. His invisible enemies opposed answers to his prayers. The invisible forces which rule the world, they gave Daniel a tough battle. But the story of Daniel teaches us that the cause of events in our lives and in our neighborhood can be influenced by prayer. The story of Daniel informs us that prayer is often a contest between angels who minister and demons who hinder. It instructs us that sometimes answers to prayers are delayed through the spiritual activities of hindering angels. Daniel's continuous wrestling in prayer when battles were still raging in the heavenlies brought victory. And it really conveys to us that the answer to prayer could be delayed by Satan's agents, opposition from the powers of darkness. It's very clear from the book of Daniel that when God's angels come to offer help to a praying believer, they may get back from rendering such help if the believer ceases or stops praying and the answer will be withdrawn. It's crystal clear from the story that sometimes the fight could be very fierce among God's holy angels. It is seen in the story that also our prayers can turn a spiritual battle to our favor. The same story does not underestimate the power of Satan. Satan has an appreciable measure of power that could hold answers to prayers from getting to the right destination. The devil has power to cause delay. Satan has no power to abrogate or cancel the answer. It is not possible for him to hold back our blessings of answered prayers perpetually. The power of answered prayers is too hot for Satan to handle. The story of Daniel emphasizes the old military slogans that says, study your enemy so you know how to defeat him. The story makes it clear that prayer is fighting. It is spiritual warfare. It is possible to mount a siege of prayer against the enemy. Another lesson from this story is that prayer is a double action. It involves a lower human level and an upper spiritual level. It is therefore dangerous to be praying and still be judging your prayer based on what you feel or you see. A simple word of unbelief can result into defeat in spiritual battles. A person who relies on the physical sense of saying nothing happened has actually punctured his miracle. He has stopped God and his angels to continue to work on his behalf because of the utterances of unbelief. The moment you believe that nothing is happening, there is a terrible warfare going on in the spirit realm. Daniel's story gives us terrific insights into the powers of prayer. There is very interesting information from this story. God's angels needed the help of Daniel to get through in order to accomplish their mission. The story teaches that prayer is the most potent of all weapons of warfare. It teaches us that prayer breaks through into the heavenlies and it activates the intervention of angels on your behalf. The story of Daniel is not silent on the three Ps, the promise of God, the prayer, and the performance of the promise. Let's examine the interplay of those three, the promises of God. Words are not substitute to our prayers. They rather provoke our prayers. When you grab God's promises and you express these in prayer, then performance will ensue. 
The believer's authority is one topic which we all need to examine afresh today. God is a God of authority. Think about what it says in Psalm 62:11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. God owns absolute power and authority. By right of sonship, we have access to God's authority. Every believer has been given power and authority to reign in life. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Reigning in life is a privilege which has been given to us. As God's children, demons, principalities, and powers are supposed to be placed under our dominion. The Bible underscores the depth of the believer's authority in Psalm 82, 6. And Jesus came and put a seal of approval on it. He declared in one of my favorite scriptures, Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. As a child of God, you've been given uncommon power and authority. Jesus paid the price of our redemption and he bequeathed upon us the power of attorney. In the court of law, the one who has the power of attorney will boldly exercise and claim certain rights and certain benefits. The policeman who stands on the road and controls the movement of vehicles is a valid and vivid symbol of authority. No matter how young the police officer is, his instructions or orders must be obeyed by even a 75-year-old billionaire. And the tragedy of modern-day believers is that we no longer exercise our authority over evil spirits and negative circumstances. The Word of God is forever settled. Whatever we bind on earth remains bound in heaven. Matthew 18, 18, 19, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall ye loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. The believer's authority needs to be exercised more than at any other time in human history. The truth is that there is no area where the believer's authority needs to be excised than in the area of deliverance and spiritual warfare. As you fight the good fight of faith and deal with demonic spirits, you have to pray with unquestionable authority. To underscore the level of authority which has been given to us as God's children, Jesus stated that he has given to us the keys of the kingdom. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The key is the symbol of authority. God taught me the principles of the believer's authority a good number of years ago. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power and of glory. It is a kingdom invested with power from above, and it is only when you know yourself that you can advance that power. The strategy of the devil is to provoke you to sin through anger, laziness, ignorance, fear, etc., etc. When this happens, he claims a legitimate ground to fight against you. The victory of the Lord Jesus is certain. The devil and his demons know it too. If you have not given your life to Jesus, you are standing against your own victory. Victory is certain in the name of the Lord. There's curses and covenants. A lot of people are laboring under the influence of strong iron-like curses and covenants. 
and thank God that Jesus has broken the gate of brass and cut the bars of iron asunder. There's fiery darts of the enemy. There's the foothold of the enemy. There's the stronghold. This kind of problem could be a result of a personal stronghold or even a generational stronghold. It runs from generation to generation. Evil dedication. This kind of problem arises when an evil consecration of a child to the devil, just as a child is dedicated to God. It's like an evil perversion of child dedication, which normally should be done by God. If a person is dedicated to an idol or evil power, the person is in trouble until that dedication is broken. There are many people who find it very difficult or impossible to share their personal problems with others. There are a lot of people that they ride in good cars, they live in posh houses, they rub shoulder with the high and the mighty and prayed excellent credentials, yet they are very lonely. They have no friends, no acquaintances, no colleagues to provide company for them. When their problems become brimful and there is no one to talk to, they either become disturbed mentally or they become so tired of life that they think of ending it all. Some have people with whom they can share their problems, but they find it difficult to open up. This is simply because the details are sometimes so horrible that they're ashamed of letting them out. They can't share what they're going through with any human. And that kind of situation often leads to terrible problems. The moment what you are going through becomes so bad that you become afraid of letting others know about it. That's why people are generally encouraged to find a minister in whom they can confide. A problem shared is a problem partially solved, right? If you're able to speak out to a trusted minister, you can discover that the weight of the burden will begin to reduce. There's a lot of people that they just can't open up. They can't tell anyone about some of their deeper, darker things. Some who want to share their problems with other people do not know which pastor to share the problems with. Some who discuss with pastors, they don't receive any help. Therefore, they get used to keeping to themselves whatever they're going through, which is what the devil wants. He wants that if you can create internal turmoil in your heart, he succeeded in defeating you externally. And then you just go ahead and send household wickedness to attack you by the time the internal and the external forces join hands to fight against you. You'll have no strength to fight against them and you'll be defeated. Today, many people are reluctant to open up their hearts to those who can help them. They're afraid that their embarrassing problems or whatever they're going through might become public knowledge. Such people have therefore vowed not to tell anybody what they're going through. To be honest, many people are actually going through terrible personal battles which they cannot disclose to those who are close to them. When someone discovers that his internal battle has become extremely tough and the enemy seems to be having an upper hand over him, he must realize that something is terribly wrong somewhere. If that describes your situation, then you must realize that some demonic spirits have decided to make your life their habitation against your will. And here are some steps you can take. Jesus made us to understand that the human body can be a house or a dwelling place for evil spirits. The human body can be likened to a house with plenty of rooms. That is why it's good to be completely broken and let the Holy Spirit possess you. If you leave any area of your life empty, evil spirits might come to take over that area. It is not reasonable to listen to the false teaching that the moment you are born again, every demon spirit in your life jumps out. That's a great fallacy. It's your spirit that gets born again, yes. Your body does not get born again. The human body that has countless number of incisions on it, that has slept with, what, 30 women, smoking, drinking before you became born again, you can't get rid of demonic spirits unless you go through deliverance. Heaven is waiting for the true sons of God to use the spiritual and supernatural keys of prayer 
in their hands to unlock the heavens. Heaven is waiting for us. It says, ask, knock, and seek. Most of the time, heaven cannot find people who will ask, knock, and seek. Knocking means praying and praying again. Another lesson is that doubt, discouragement, despair, impatience, and sorrow can paralyze your prayer life. A person would not be so paralyzed if he was willing to knock again. He could be so discouraged that he does not want to pray again. Asking leads to receiving. Seeking will result in finding. When you set your heart to find, then you will find. When you have found out something, then the direction becomes clear. So knock, seek, ask, find. Knocking brings open doors, and as long as you continue to knock, doors will be opened. We're commanded to pray whether it's convenient or not as a commandment that must be carried out. It's a sad thing that heaven is calling for prayer and nobody is praying. Prayer here on earth can affect the heavens. Prayer requires persistence and determination. It is not for those who easily give up. No, it's for those who persist and keep knocking. The enemy will try to discourage you by bringing all kinds of obstacles across your way. But when you expect an answer... You'll get it. Expectancy in prayer is important. Prayerlessness is the Christian's worst sin. Samuel said that God forbid that he should commit sin in ceasing to pray for the Israelites. Praying is simple, but it's difficult. It's difficult because there's an enemy who hates to see you pray. And you know what? Any time that you spend in prayer is an eternal investment because prayers do not die. Did you know that? The result of prayers may not even be seen immediately, but they cannot die. There are some prayers that I really believe I've prayed 25, 30 years ago, but they're only now getting results. Think about that. You know who was the most powerful prayer warrior who ever lived? Jesus. He was. He's our model. He was most powerful as a result. He is the one teaching us about the mystery of asking, seeking, and knocking. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Heaven assigns a special place for those who pray. Arguments, contentions, debates, they can never settle matters, but prayer changes everything. Jesus knew the importance of his coming for spiritual warfare and defeating the enemy. He said in John twelve thirty one, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In John 16, 11, the ruler of this world is judged. Colossians 2, 15, Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them. Jesus said he had all authority. He also gave the same authority to us in his name. Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow them who believe. In my name, they shall cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In Luke ten seventeen, what does it say? Then the 70 return rejoicing, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
Behold, I give you the authority to trample on these serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What does Colossians 1.16 say? For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And remember that the powers of evil are twice under Jesus' authority because he totally and publicly defeated them. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. We must come to fully understand that when Jesus triumphed over the devil, he released us from our enemy's grips. God wants us to take full advantage of the fact that we are already conquerors over our enemy. Paul wrote, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8.37 if we're already more than conquerors, why does Satan so often continue to get the upper hand with God's people? Well, one way that he gets away with stealing from us is that he lies and he deceives in order to convince us that he has more power than he actually possesses. Satan has taken control over many individuals, groups, cities, and even countries. But as a Christian, you can exercise the authority of the believer over the devil and his works. Some people think that demons are running around wildly wreaking havoc wherever they go with nothing to stop them. As spiritual beings, however, they must obey the sovereign God. And he, God, has given his people authority over them in Jesus' name. Certain battles, they're not worth fighting. And the Holy Spirit has the ability to guide us to those confrontations that are the most strategic. God will give his people great boldness, great courage, and supernatural strength in fighting of faith. What did Paul write? I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Philippians 4.13 God's people need to invade the enemy's camp with diligence, confidence, and insurance. We can take back everything Satan has stolen from us and our households. It doesn't belong to him. He is a thief. He's a liar. And we demand that he give it all back. We are engaged in a real, though unseen, war. It's a war. It is disastrous for us to go into spiritual battle without our spiritual weapons. When we take a complacent attitude towards spiritual warfare and we fail to guard against Satan's armory of fierce weapons, well, we have to look at that, don't we? Believers have to arm themselves against the onslaught of Satan and his minions, his demons. Sometimes Christians forget that they have an enemy, but Satan, ever watchful for an opening, waits to attack not only you, but your family as well. You must protect yourself and your home from his destructive powers. In warfare, going into the enemy's territory is dangerous and risky, but God doesn't send us into the devil's territory unequipped and on our own. Instead, he gives us the necessary armor and equipment to protect ourselves against the attacks that are sure to come. I want to emphasize some of God's storehouse of spiritual weapons include the following, the blood of Jesus, prayer, the whole armor of God, praise, speaking the word, the name of Jesus, perseverance. When we go into spiritual battle, we fight with weapons that are not of this world. What are the biblical instructions for spiritual warfare using the analogy of physical armor? That was familiar to the first century world, right? May God grant us 
the wisdom and ability to apply them in our spiritual battles. Paul wrote, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You may think that armor is an ancient term that was only relevant for those people. The uniforms of soldiers may now be different from what they were in biblical times, and the equipment might be different. But a soldier going into battle has to be properly equipped, and the principles of protection and weaponry that the armor of God represents still apply to us today. Spiritual armor protects and reinforces the Christian as that Christian engages in spiritual warfare. The pieces of equipment are both an offensive and defensive nature. And we have to pay attention to all the pieces of spiritual equipment so that we'll be able to effectively wage an offensive campaign against the forces of evil. We don't leave any weak places in our lives through which the enemy can attack. And we have to maintain a life of integrity so that we'll have a base from which we can effectively use the sword of the Spirit, right? The Word of God. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Ephesians 6.14. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we go into spiritual battle, we fight with weapons that are not of this world. Jesus demonstrated that he was the truth in two ways, by what he said and what he did. No one ever spoke the words of truth, wisdom, and life as Jesus did. When we put on that belt of truth, we are saying to God and to the world that we have no time for anything that would delay, hinder, or get in the way of the life that God wants us to lead. We need to gather up the loose ends of our lives and the things that cause us to stumble and place them under the control of God's Holy Spirit in accordance with God's Word. We're to cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captive to the obedience of Christ. A soldier is not completely armed unless he has a weapon with which to defend himself. There can be no effective defense without a good offense. The sword was not just used as a defensive weapon which has to protect somebody. It's also an offensive weapon with which to destroy an opponent or enemy. In Paul's time, the sword was the main weapon of warfare. The word of God is the primary weapon that we use in spiritual warfare today. And in order to use God's word in spiritual warfare, we have to study it diligently. No good soldier ever goes into battle without learning how to use his weapons. As we are trained through our study of the Bible, we learn to use the weapon of the word. We learn to use the power of the word through the Holy Spirit to demolish the strongholds that have existed in our lives. The word enables us to take captive every thought we have and make it obedient to his truth. The word came through the Holy Spirit and is brought to our minds by the Holy Spirit. What does 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 say? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for the teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you. This is what Jesus is saying. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. John 16, 13 through 14. Remember the spiritual shoes Paul wrote, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our walk with God requires us to have proper footwear, doesn't it? Which like the sword can be considered both offensive and defensive. 
Through our spiritual shoes, we prepare to do battle and are protected from the sharp attacks which the enemy tries to make us stumble. And our preparation will determine the ability and the stability of our walk with Jesus Christ. The only way to be prepared to walk through the wilderness of this world as we progress in our life's journey, the only way to be ready to wage spiritual warfare is to be equipped with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, that's determined through the ability and the stability of our walk with Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Putting on the proper footwear in spiritual warfare is an act of security for the future. It is trusting God's promise of deliverance and eternal life. His gospel is a gospel of peace, and we know that we're involved in a war whose victory is assured and whose peace will be won forever. Another piece of equipment, the breastplate of righteousness. When God the Father looks at us, he sees us as righteous because we are wearing the righteousness of his perfect son. If you wear the bulletproof vest of God's righteousness, you can assure that your heart and emotions are securely guarded and adequately protected against attack. When we count on our own righteousness, we're going to begin to feel unworthy of God or that we've failed in the Christian life and God will surely reject us. And the enemy builds on that sense of unworthiness because his aim is to make us think that God, he's not really forgiven our sins. He doesn't care about us. He wants us to forget that it is not our own righteousness that counts, but Christ's righteousness in us that counts. And that's simply the devil's means of opposing and destroying what God intends to do through believers who put their trust in his forgiveness and power. When we come to the Lord Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven and we are granted the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. The Greek word for putting on the breastplate of righteousness means to clothe or to be clothed with in the sense of sinking into a garment. Jesus clothes us with the garment of his righteousness. In this sense, we don't so much as put it on as allow it to be placed on us. We lift up our hands to receive God's grace, to receive that robe of grace. And it flows over our head and then it covers our whole selves. When God the Father looks at us, he sees us as righteous because we're wearing the righteousness of his perfect son. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You cannot stand on your own merits. You have to come to Christ on the grounds of his imputed righteousness. I believe that no matter what the circumstances, Paul knew he was secure in Jesus because he had put on the breastplate of righteousness, which would deflect any weapon or ammunition with which the enemy would assault him. The only righteousness worth anything in the eyes of God is the righteousness of Jesus. The only way in which God can look on us as righteous is when he sees us in Christ Jesus. We have to discard any robe of self-righteousness and put on that protective breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need that protection because, again, the, the enemy, the devil will try to cause us to become discouraged, despondent, depressed. He'll use every wicked device he has in order 
to attack our hearts, our emotions, tax us with confusion, doubt, uncertainty, strife, discord, arguments, you name it. He tries to get us to feel sorry for ourselves, but the biggest thing he tries to get us to doubt things of God, doubt the love of God, that we can't trust God. God doesn't care about us. One of his favorite schemes is to attack us with a spirit of indifference, cynicism, callousness, coldness, and bitterness towards one another and God. He approaches us through our circumstances, our feelings, and our thought life. We have to be sure to guard our emotions as they can often give the devil a real entry into our lives. We have to be sure to guard those emotions. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Failing to control your anger grants the devil an opportunity to get a foothold in your life. And then he can use it as a base of operations. That shield of faith, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts, those flaming arrows of the wicked ones. The shield of faith, think about that, because it is impossible to please God without faith. We must live a life of faith. The righteous will live by faith, right? The faith that will deflect the flaming arrows of the enemy is simply trust in God. The word Paul used for faith in Ephesians 6.16 is thurios, which refers to a large shield. The scripture says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By faith, we who believe in Jesus through the testimony of the word are in him. Paul used the phrase in Christ 12 times in the first three chapters of the book. So an understanding of our position in Christ through the faith renders all of Satan's lies ineffective. All the pieces of armor that are mentioned in Ephesians 6, as well as our prayers involve aspects of our being in him. Think about this belt of truth. The truth is in Christ. Breastplate of righteousness. We are righteous in Christ. Feed shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have peace with God in Christ. Helmet of salvation. We will spend eternity with God in Christ. Sword of the Spirit. We apply the word of God in Christ. We have access to God the Father through Christ. When we pray, we have access to God the Father through Christ. So if you understand the implications of being in Christ through faith, you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, Ephesians 6.16. Fear of being hurt emotionally consumes us if we don't believe that God will meet our relational needs. There's a strong connection between faith and recognizing our position of being righteous in Christ. Faith in Christ leads to Christ's righteousness being imputed to us so that we no longer need to fear, but are made perfect in love, 1 John 4.18. Well, let's think about the helmet of salvation. It's interesting in 1 Thessalonians 5.80 referred to this same headpiece as the hope of salvation. This piece of armor concerns our eternal destiny and our assurance of salvation. Again, the enemy calls into question the level of our loyalty and our commitment to God. He tries his best to cause us to doubt our safekeeping in Christ. And then as a result, we can be paralyzed by fear, anxiety, insecurity. If Satan's unsuccessful at causing us to doubt our salvation, then what does he do? He attempts to convince us to downplay its importance. He doesn't want us to live with an eternal perspective in mind, but a worldly one. He wants us to be caught up in temporal things so that we will not spend time waging war against the power of evil and on behalf of those who are lost. 
So how are we to take the helmet of salvation without the helmet of salvation securely on your head every day, without a focus on your future that is based on your redemption, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternity with God, you can only fall back on the world system and its culture to help you make important decisions. And what does that do? It inevitably causes you to stumble into the deception of the enemy. Because remember, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, Proverbs 14, 12. God's people shouldn't believe in retreat because Jesus Christ has already won the victory. Thus, we see that we must take up the whole armor of God and go forth into spiritual battle. Sometimes Satan will come with a full-scale frontal assault. Sometimes he'll choose guerrilla warfare. This is why all the pieces of our armor must be utilized and cared for. We have to ensure that they aren't laid aside, taken away, or knocked off by a wrong attitude or by apathy toward a very real warfare in which we are engaged. We have to move forward fully protected by the armor that God has provided for us, as Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. I like this scripture in Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the flesh in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2, 20. Spiritual warfare is a lifestyle, not just an occasional event of rebuking the enemy or casting out demons. The believer has to be spiritually prepared at all times and understand that since the enemy is continuing on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour, he must maintain an ongoing warrior's awareness of the spiritual battle that constantly rages around him. Spiritual warfare requires us to be spiritually on guard because skirmishes can take place even on the inner battlefields of our own minds and hearts. We battle not only the world and the devil, but our sinful nature, which desires what is contrary to God. The Apostle Paul reminded us of this truth. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. You cannot expect to walk with the Lord without a fight for your faith. And we got to remember that praying in the spirit is crucial for warfare prayer because we're not aware of everything that is happening in the spiritual realm. Job didn't know the drama involving God and the devil that was going on behind the scenes of the cataclysmic events occurring in his life. Daniel didn't know that the prince of the kingdom of Persia was attempting to hinder the answer to his prayers until the angel came and told him. An important thing to notice from Daniel's experience is that angels are very much involved in the affairs of men and nations. The godly angel came in response to Daniel's prayers while ungodly demons opposed him. We can know that in all spiritual warfare, all the resources of heaven are at our disposal. God can even send an army of angels as he did for Elisha, or he may just send one as he did for Daniel, but he will come through for you. Believe him and trust him at all times. Psalm 62, 7 through 8, and God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. The effectiveness of spiritual warfare 
You know what it really depends on, the bottom line? It depends on authority and power. Jesus Christ has overwhelming authority and power over Satan, a created being who rebelled against the good and rightful rule of God. When we have been reconciled with God through Christ, understand spiritual warfare, and are living in a way that pleases him, we have access to his authority, and we can command the devil and demons in his name. Jesus' authority comes from his deity, his sinless humanity, and the honor given to him by God the Father because of his perfect obedience and sacrifice. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have to rely totally on the name of Jesus and on the powerful work that he did on Calvary through his atoning blood. Most demons, they'll leave when you give a direct command in Jesus' name. Others can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 21. We have to totally rely on the name of Jesus. In a sense, it's a legal term, the blood of Jesus. It means to invoke what Jesus Christ has done on the cross over a particular situation or person. People say pleading the blood of Jesus. Yeah, it's not a catchphrase. A blood covering is provided through faith in God, prayer, and in belief. Thank God we can overcome the temptation to sin. We can overcome the past and we can overcome Satan, all enemies that try to destroy us. When we say that we cover others, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that means that we claim the blood that he shed, which enabled us to enter into the new covenant with God. The scripture says we can have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through his flesh. Hebrews 10, 19-20. It means that Almighty God will look down from heaven and watch over us and protect us. It means that we can also pray over our children and cover them, with the covenant blood of Jesus Christ. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus and they flee at the blood of the Lamb. So placing the blood gives us bold and confident access to God's power and providence. I've learned that when we are praying for people and God impresses upon us to cover them with the blood, we should say, I cover you with the blood of Jesus, the covenant of God. We can plead the blood for ourselves when the devil tries to torment us with the memory of past sins that have already been forgiven. Doing this reminds us and the devil that God has forgotten our sins because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and his blood. He has shed his blood so that sin no longer has dominion over the believer who trusts completely in him. The word of God says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I believe that the word of our testimony means believing in the efficacy of the blood. So a believer who pleads the blood in a time of dire circumstance or attack by the enemy is calling on the power and authority of Jesus Christ's blood. When we plead the blood, we acknowledge and testify to the overcoming power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. To defeat the devil, you need to stand on the blood and proclaim its power. With that blood, we overcome Satan and the entire spiritual underworld. Demons are terrified by the blood. They cannot remain in the presence of the blood of Jesus. Don't let the enemy rob you of the truth of what defeats him. Jesus, our wonderful Lord and Savior, meets Satan, the flesh, and the world at the boundary of blood. Just as the Israelites did not have to fight if they trusted God, God would fight for them if they knew that the battle was the Lord's. 1 Samuel 17, 47. 
So Jesus today fights our battles for us. Whenever you speak the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ and actuate the power of the covenant of God, a battle will go on in the heavens and on earth when you stand boldly and proclaim the word of the living God. Therefore, know that in the name of Jesus and through his blood, by his blood, demons will flee, diseases will be healed, many miracles, signs, and wonders will occur through the prayers of God's people. And I want to focus also on the mission of of the people of God on earth and what it means for us to have a vital role in the army of God. I love this in Luke 4, 17 through 19 and 21. And Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming himself as the great liberator. Jesus followed that proclamation by calling men and women, his disciples, to join his army of deliverance. As they had received freedom in Jesus Christ, they were able to liberate others in his name. This is how Jesus gave authority to the original 12 disciples. And when he had called the 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Jesus commanded them, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus sends us forth today with that same authority. As the Father has sent me, I also send you, John 20, 21. We have to see ourselves as a massive spiritual army of awesome deliverance. We just heard in this podcast, we learned about spiritual warfare and the weapons God has given us. Being a soldier in God's armies includes fighting poverty, desperation, confusion. Hunger, poverty, desperation, and confusion. We have to help feed the starving and shelter the homeless. Spiritual warfare offers people hope, the hope that is in only Jesus Christ. This is God's way of reclaiming what Satan has stolen and destroyed also. There's a mighty work to be done in these last days. Spiritual warfare is vital to carrying forth the message of the gospel, and God needs all of us to help bring in the end-time harvest of souls, Leading people to salvation is one thing, but keeping them free is another. In order to do both, we have to live a lifestyle of spiritual warfare. It takes a lot of perseverance. Victory over Satan's attack is not always obvious. Instead of his defeat and our success, sometimes it looks like our defeat and his success. When Jesus died on the cross, it seemed as if the enemy had won. But by his death and resurrection, Jesus fully defeated Satan, brought about our salvation, and enabled us to be more than conquerors. What looks like defeat for believers is sometimes our greatest victory. The book of Revelation tells of a time when Satan and his subordinates will appear to triumph over the saints, but it will only be a momentary defeat that will accomplish the purposes of God and serve as a prelude to Satan's final destruction. Spiritual warfare, it takes its toll on people. We have to rely on God and his love to strengthen us. 
And proper preparation is also necessary. An army can't march into battle and expect to win without some necessary provisions and support. We have to put on that whole armor of God and intercede in prayer. We have to read and remember God's word. We need to continually worship God and fellowship with other believers. We have to call on God's strength, proclaim God's word. We have to tell his people to continue to take back what the enemy has stolen. We have to rebuke those who rise up against the Lord. We have to call on his strength. We have to use the power of his name, the word, his blood, rebuke every enemy in his name. And Jesus said that we are to seek God and his kingdom first in our lives. When our priorities become so skewed so that we pursue our own comforts and ignore God's concerns and we're falling into a deception of the enemy because Satan wants to keep us from bearing fruit for God and being effective for his kingdom. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of the living God. James 4.4. 4. We have to remain in Jesus Christ and pursue God's thoughts and ways. Jesus said, the ones that fell on the ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Luke 18.5. We have to let the word of God be planted and bring forth fruit in our lives. Jesus taught that if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. If we do not, we will become like a withered branch that has no useful purpose. That it's, Remember, it talks about abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Psalm 1 emphasizes the same idea. When a person delights in God and his word, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season and how to counteract them. We can't leave ourselves open to all manner of satanic assaults and be constantly defeated by our enemy. Our example is Jesus and how he confronted the devil. He demonstrated mastery over all the powers and the forces of evil. He challenged Satan wherever he had an opportunity, whether it was in the synagogue or in a cemetery. Go check out Luke 4.33, Mark 5, 2-15. The devil is deceitful, presumptuous, cruel, fierce, wicked, subtle, and powerful. Yet he is also cowardly and has limitations. He flees at the name of Jesus or when a believer uses the blood of the Son of God over a person or situation. Instead of being at his mercy, we can defeat the enemy through Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Satan's willing to use any tactic or device to make people listen to him and follow him. He wants to destroy people and usher them into hell. He knows his fate. Eternity in the lake of fire is sealed. We have to be equipped for spiritual combat. We need to learn to resist the rebellion that caused the fall of Lucifer to do spiritual battle on behalf of those who are vulnerable to the enemy. Because Satan is the foe of every human being and especially of believers who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In spiritual warfare, we have to understand that we are not at war with other people. We do not fight against unbelievers, sinners, and reprobates. We are at war with Satan, who holds people captive to as well. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do as well. 
We're on the front lines of spiritual warfare every day. God's people are experiencing attack, probably as never before. Trouble is all around us. The natural consequences of our fallen world are depicted in everything we look at. Our daily social media, newspapers, newscast, accounts of all of this. We can sense a spirit of rebellion in the attitudes of the world. We confront the world's temptation and the devil's deceit in everyday lives as we struggle with unseen sinister forces that want to pull us down and destroy us. Sin is rampant in the earth as we draw closer to the final confrontation between God and Satan. The devil's frantically working to try to wreck the plans and the promises of God. I've been engaged in spiritual warfare for a lot of years, and I know from personal experience what it is like to be opposed by unseen diabolical spiritual enemies that have great power and great strength. I've been attacked by the devil and the coalition of his evil forces, but the Almighty God has always given me the victory. In the same way, certain victory is assured to you through Jesus Christ. When we're in Jesus Christ and have appropriated the grace and protection of his sacrificial death on Calvary, we have nothing to fear. The message of deliverance and empowerment by the Holy Spirit that Jesus came to earth to proclaim is his message for us today. Hallelujah. Jesus provides the promise of glorious victory. So let me wrap up the conclusion. Here's some things to remember about Christian warfare. Some things to remember about the battle. Number one, obviously, if you're not following Jesus, you're on the losing side. Live victoriously. Rejoice in victory. And realize every single day, we're not promised tomorrow, but Jesus said, give us our daily bread. Every single day is a day of warfare. And as you grow and as you take a stand and as you get more deliverance, you will grow and God will give you more and more. God's not going to give you something that you're not able to, you're not equipped to handle. Exodus talks about God driving them out little by little, not all at once. So this is a process and deliverance is a lifestyle. Spiritual warfare is a daily lifestyle. And as you increase and you get stronger and you start taking captive of every thought, etc., you're going to grow. And then God will also assist you to go to the next level. God is going to give you what you can handle in the warfare, in this spiritual battle. God does that with our life. He sends you what you need and he sends you what you can handle. Everyone listening is on a different level and God knows what level you're at. And that's important to remember. And one of the things you have to do is count the costs and say today, Lord, what would you have me do? I'll go where you want me to go. God might be requiring you to move or do something out of your comfort zone. And that's between you and the Lord. And be encouraged too. You can do all things through him who strengthens you. Fear not for God is with you. Do not be dismayed for he is your God. He will strengthen you. He will help you and he will uphold you with his righteous hand. Philippians 4.13 the Lord is going to renew your strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. You shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40, 31. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can be. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Ephesians six ten, And really meditate on that scripture. He said his grace is sufficient for us, didn't he? He said to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I hope you were very encouraged by today's show. 
make sure you go to sheilazelinski.tv and you can search guests that way. We spent a lot of time working on that site. So boy, oh boy, that's taken us um, the last four months, a lot of work. We weren't sure if it was going to be worth videos are there. And please do make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. You can go to the listen page at SheilaZelinski.com. Also go to SheilaZelinski.com if you wish to donate. There's many ways to donate to the ministry. We would really appreciate your help. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you real soon. Good night and God bless you.